Hello and welcome to the Big Sports Fan. I'm Jeff Powell. Setting in with me, of course, the Big Sports Fan himself, Matthew Tessner. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. What are we going to talk about today? You know, I'm kind of at a loss. I know the uh, the NBA playoffs are continuing. The draft has been around. What what else is there to talk about today? We've got so many things we can talk about. Let's just dive right in with the NFL draft, specifically related to Gardner-Webb. Let's talk a little bit about O.J. Mao. Um, not picked in the draft, but right after the draft each year, we see a ton of college players who get picked up and signed to free agent contracts. And O.J. Mao was signed to a free agent contract with the Baltimore Ravens. And basically what that means is he'll get a shot to get in there, compete, uh, go to training camp, those kinds of things, and, and try to make that roster. And a lot of times you see if he doesn't make the roster there in Baltimore, he might have a shot somewhere else. So his performance is really important for that reason. Just an exciting shot there. I get more excited, I think, sometimes when we have an offensive or defensive lineman, somebody who's just a really big and athletic and really talented get in there. I think it's a little bit better shot that they'll make a roster somewhere. Teams in the NFL need a ton of depth, always talking about depth on the lines, rotating the big guys out. Mm -hmm. They're hitting each other on every single play. They need a lot of energy. They expend it, and then they rotate them out. They get other guys in there. They they expend their energy, and then they rotate back. And so I think that's a good thing for O.J. Mal as opposed to a position player. Can you um, bring our listeners up to date on exactly O.J. Mal? He had a great career here at Gardner-Webb. He did. Very fascinating story. Um, came here from American Samoa, and there have been a lot of stories in the past five years or so chronicling how American Samoa is almost an NFL player factory uh, per capita and how many they create uh, and and send over here. They play college football and then get drafted. And and we were talking about the other day, they they grow them big in American Samoa. Uh, Those those guys are are big. They're physical. Um, They just – a lot of cases, they have great personalities. They have great culture and tradition there. And so I think a lot of times they're good guys to be around. I think I think their teammates enjoy them. But Mouse from Samoa, um, we had several players here at Gardner-Webb over the past couple of years. And, and actually, probably over the last decade, we've had a couple more, I believe. But he, he just a very talented kind of nose guard, kind of plays in the middle of that defensive line uses his size, uses his strength to be able to either push into the offensive line and get around to the quarterback, or he's good to kind of push off of blocks, people trying to push him out of the way and tackle running backs. So he's good in the run game, the pass game. Uh, You think more a little bit of defensive ends in terms of sacking the quarterback, but your interior linemen on the defensive side are kind of in there just to be disruptive and disruptive any way they can, whether the other team is running the ball or passing the ball. And OJ proved that he was very capable of doing that. He's also good at getting up and blocking kicks uh, on special teams and, and field goals and things like that. So I think he'll have a good shot. I really do feel better about an offensive or defensive lineman getting there into the NFL, particularly from from Gardner-Webb's point of view, than maybe a position player because it's just so competitive at the position player spots. You have to be an elite athlete. You have to really make a splash, I feel like, in in training camp or along the way to get your shot at a roster there. And and we've had, we were talking about the other day too, some of the Gardner-Webb athletes that we've had here from, from the football program who have had NFL shots. Names like Kenny Cook, who was a wide receiver, got a shot with the Chiefs last year. He's still around the Chiefs organization. We learned that a little bit from GWSports.com, which which we follow our sports guys over there in sports information. 
he signed a futures contract, which basically means that they're kind of keeping him around uh, for an option there at wide receiver. And you know, the Chiefs have been kind of up and down, so um, they they will need extra position players with talent. Uh, and Kenny certainly big guy, uh, great hands, uh, pretty fast for for a big guy. So I think he's still not done with the NFL himself, which is exciting. Guy about ten years ago now. Maybe not quite that far. Brian Johnston, he also he was drafted, I believe, in the sixth round uh, by the Chiefs. Uh, was a uh, defensive lineman with Jim Maxwell uh, 10 or 12 years ago. Really talented linebacker. He had a shot with the Giants and then a couple other teams. And then Dobson Collins a couple of years ago. He was a wide receiver. Uh, got a brief stint with the San Francisco 49ers, I think, and then went up and played Canadian League oh, football, yeah. I yeah, believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. which – is a little bit different game and a little bit different emphasis on the skill sets and the dimensions of the field, and it's just a little bit different than American football. So we've had some players have, have some success in leaving Gardner-Webb and getting that pro shot, uh, whether that's been in the NFL or, or somewhere else. And I, I certainly think O.J. will have a shot. The Baltimore Ravens, there have been a couple of stories. That they have had several players from American Samoa and other countries, and they like those big international guys, uh, and they've had some success with defensive linemen particularly. Uh, and they've had a couple of Super Bowl runs here in the last 10, 15 years. And so it's been an organization that's had some success. I think they've got a really, really good coach in John Harbaugh and a good good program there. So, uh, and, and people who are Ravens fans love their Ravens. So it's a decent organization to, to get into for OJ. That's exciting. Well, we'll wish him luck in the, uh, in the um, um, training camps this summer and all that as we go forward. It's a long way to go, but it's a start, and that's all you can ask for really. Okay, what's next on the agenda? Oh, we've got so many things we could talk about, but we, you know, we could run down just a little bit about Laramie Tunsil, the Ole Miss offensive lineman who had the incident uh, with the smoking photo and the gas oh, mask yeah, posted yeah, yeah, this past yeah. week. Yeah. One of those times where it's unfortunate, and as a fan, you're kind of watching it, and, and particularly for me, not a fan of Ole Miss necessarily, not a fan of the Miami Dolphins who eventually selected him, uh, not really somebody who's even as a fan invested in that in that situation, but you just hate to see when some bad choice from an athlete comes back to haunt you. And we see that in drafts in several professional sports. Sure. And we certainly see that, I feel like, in football and basketball from time to time where you've got this really talented player. He's maybe made a bad choice or even been associated with a bad choice, and his draft stock just falls. And, and of course, you know somebody says, well, he was still picked 13th in the first round. Why does it matter? You know, He's still going to get his pro shot. He's, he's not going to have to pay, pay the penalty for that. If nothing else, he lost millions of dollars falling based yeah. on the pay scale of yeah. what draft picks get. You know, mm-hmm. If he'd been top five, he would have made a lot more money in his rookie contract than going 13th. A lot of people think with his size, he's an offensive lineman. Talk about big guys with – with OJ, Laramie Tunsil's on the other side of the ball. He really is a talent, and a lot of people think the Dolphins got a steal at 13, but just one of those situations that, that was painful to see. And it really always, when when they have somebody who falls in the draft because of something like this incident, it becomes the talk of the draft. And instead yeah. of talking about all these great players going places and – um, you know what they're going to do for their teams. We we get these shots. If you're watching it on TV or just following it online, you get these photos or, or video shots of this guy sitting in the green room where they have all the top picks there sitting, waiting to hear their name called, walk up on the stage, put on that baseball cap, shake the commissioner's hand, and celebrate. And they just go to the sullen-looking guy sitting over yeah. there in the green room with his family looking right. sad. And right. so it's just disappointing. And that really wasn't the end of the story. 
so many colleges and programs being investigated by the NCAA for violations and things like that right now. He also mentioned Laramie Tunsil in his post-draft pick interview that he may have gotten some money. He actually said, yes, I took some money from coaches at Ole Miss. And so just potential problems for Ole Miss, bad for everybody all around. Just bad for him, bad for the NFL when you have players like that coming in admitting, yeah, I took money in college, which is which is illegal uh, per yeah. NCAA yes. rules. Yeah. Bad for the NCAA, of course. So of course. there's no winner when it comes to that. So yeah. that was an unfortunate piece of, of the draft, and, and it'll be something that people will remember about the 2016 draft. Yeah. And we're seeing stuff like that more and more often, it seems like, because everything you do and say now is captured. You know, it's on video, it's, it's – put out there on social media and then it just goes viral and everybody knows two things come to mind there's nowhere to run and your sins will find you out those are are two things that i think are very very true um and and, you know kind of a kind of a good bridge talking nfl draft and and that deal to nba draft that will be coming up here next month of course we've got the playoffs going on here for the next month plus then right after that almost will be the draft and the nba and ncaa have kind of worked on new rules for the nba draft where Basically, any freshman, sophomore, or junior can declare for the NBA draft, go through workouts, camp, uh, kind of a drafty exercise program uh, to kind of see what the talent is for that particular year. They can work out specifically for one NBA team. And then if they don't sign with an agent, which is always and still remains the, the caveat there, you cannot sign with an agent and then go back and play college sports. That, that just clearly defies the, the laws and rules of the NCAA. You can go back. And so we've seen an incredible number of people declare for the draft this year. Uh, there were several folks who played in the national championship game between Villanova and Carolina who I thought there's, they have no business trying to go to the NBA early. They need to go back to school. I don't even know that there'll be an NBA draft pick after they graduate necessarily declaring. And I mentioned the other day uh, when, when you and I were talking, Jeff, that 11, I believe it is, Kentucky players declared for the draft, which is basically their whole roster. Yeah. And anybody who watches college basketball knows Kentucky pretty much cycles in a new roster every year anyways. They have a huge group of freshmen usually who come in they're highly touted Kentucky has a good year and then all those players leave and their coaching staff starts over with a new recruiting class the next year so they kind of already do that anyways but to see 11 on the early draft entry list and that'll change as we get closer to the draft players realize I'm not going to be selected I probably don't have a good shot and if they have good sense they'll pull out and you know they'll go back to college and uh, they won't they won't try to push it any farther and then not get drafted and then realize oh I made a big mistake so that'll change but still seeing that large number there it'll be really interesting moving forward to see does that continue to affect college basketball Uh, because that's that's been rough for me in the last 20 years to watch college basketball has really changed you don't have dominance by experienced teams that often and then now when you do it's a story because you lose everybody. Yeah, you lose everybody. Guys don't stick around, and even programs like Duke, who, you know, for a long time, Coach Coach K did not lose freshmen, sophomores. Players did not just leave early. That that would have been a rarity, and now he he loses a freshman. It seems like every year, and a lot of them go and they're successful in the NBA, mm-hmm. but still, you know, it changes the college game, and and I it hate does. to see that talent leave. But at the same time, can you blame somebody who's you know the main reason they're there? The main reason there is to get a shot at the end. Uh, the NBA 
and then they've got one. That's right. Yeah, that's true. If you wait another year, you might blow out your knee. Who knows? Yeah, and, and a lot of times it, it is you hear about guys, especially who are coming from backgrounds where they don't have a lot of money in their family, and and I believe them when they say that they really want to improve life for their family. They don't don't they don't always make good on that, and they don't always make the best choices. But I believe that a lot of them have that in mind, at least from the outset, that they think you know, mom had to work several jobs to make ends meet. Dad had to to make sacrifices for me to get to this level. I need to make good on my opportunity mm-hmm. and go mm-hmm. to the next level and play yeah. professionally and make the money and then yeah. give back to my family. Right, right. And I do believe a lot of athletes make good on that. But, but of course, there are some who don't make good choices. Right. That's we saw in the earlier story. Exactly. Well, we could also talk about baseball this morning. Uh, it's never never too early in the long season of baseball, and we've hit on a couple of things early. What strikes me so far this season is how Chicago is ruling baseball here early in the season. Played maybe 25 games or so here in the first month. Cubs have the best record in the major leagues. White Sox on the south side of town. They like to say north side got the Cubs, south side got the Chicago White Sox. They have the best record in the American League and one of the best records in baseball. Wow. Being led by really strong pitching. Uh, that, that, I would say, is the story. They've got good position players and good, good hitters too, but the pitching has been the key for them. A guy named Chris Sale for the White Sox, um, I believe, has the second most wins in Major League Baseball. The guy who has the most wins so far, six, a name that I think folks at this point probably need to start to know, Jake Arrieta. Uh, he's won 17 straight decisions, which means that he's gone out to the mound, and if he's pitched at least five innings and got a win or loss, he's got a win for the last 17 times he's went out there for the Cubs. And that is a franchise record for them. And I was looking a little bit, you know, where does that stack up all time? What's the record? How many – What's the, what's the most times a pitcher has gone out there, got, got a, a win or a loss, they call it a decision, and got that win. And uh, had to go all the way back to the 36-37 seasons. And there's a guy named Carl Hubble for the Giants who won 24 straight times. So, yes, Jake Arrieta's won 17 straight times, but he's still long in baseball <laughs> a long way to go. And I really enjoy statistics, obviously. I, I, that's one of the reasons why we do this podcast. I like to talk about sports statistics. But I particularly like that in baseball and baseball records. Uh, they're, just, they're just fun to talk about. Even when we've had the steroid era, when the asterisk becomes a big part of those record books, it's just fun to see records chased, records broken, uh, records cl- uh, being close to being broken and, and not quite reaching that and the record standing. Um, you know, I don't want to get too far into it and, and talk about all of my opinions about the home run record and all that. We could talk about that for an hour, but I love to see baseball records chased. And it seems like every few years, especially in baseball, which is a statistics-heavy sport, which I think is what holds some people up from being able to watch it. It's a slow, kind of methodical plotting game um, that, that usually takes as much time as a football game and, and sometimes seems like it has even less action to it. Uh, certainly, you know, have the hits element, so that takes it takes it out for some people but it's just fun to look at statistics and so I think it'll be interesting to see how how this pitcher does Jake Arrieta has kind of been the big name here in the last season or two but every couple of years there's a new pitcher who kind of comes on the scene I think we see so much change in who the the dominant pitchers are in baseball because there is so much emphasis on really fast fastballs and having multiple pitches and having to throw curveballs or you know maybe a knuckleball or something like that and i think it's tough on the arms of those players and they it's weird because i believe the most wins of a pitcher all time 
with Cy Young, if, if I'm right on that. And I think it's 500 and something, 511 or something like that wins. To think about a pitcher going out there and winning 500 games, it just seems like his arm would literally be falling off. Pitchers don't pitch every day like they did way back in you know the early 1900s, but still, I think they pitch. They, they look at pitch counts and they start looking at that from an early age, even in uh, children's baseball and little league and things like that. Sometimes they they put they'll put a pitch count on a, on a kid because he's good. He's having a lot of success. Uh, it's tempting to pitch him every inning and throw him out there every game, but you can't literally break the arm of a, of a pitcher just throwing him every day. That's a lot of stress and and work on that child's arm. And so we see that at the major league level as well. Uh, so it's impressive when somebody goes out there and has a nice long streak uh, because that, that shows that they've got some stamina to be able to go out there and, and do that. But I think we see kind of the dominant pitchers rotating out every couple of years because it seems like a new name. And Jake Arrieta is kind of the hot name now, but it'll probably be somebody else in a couple of, couple years. of years. Yeah. All right. Anything else we need to look at today? The Quell Hollow uh, Golf uh, uh, Wells Fargo Championship uh, is in town uh, this weekend at Charlotte, and um, I know a lot of folks will be heading down yeah, there from yeah. our area. Uh, it's it's kind of exciting uh, to be able to get close up to the golfers, be in the gallery. Um, you know, a lot of folks are not golf fans. We've talked about that a couple other times here on the Big Sports Fan, but um, it's really exciting if you're going to watch golf to go and watch it in person, to be able to walk the course. If it's a beautiful day, a golf course can be a beautiful place almost for a hike yeah, <laughs> out yeah. around mm-hmm. um you know it just is not a, a peaceful hike necessarily because you've got a lot of other people out there walking the gallery particularly if you go on sunday so you know it's not a hike by yourself but um yeah it's a big event for for charlotte and and for the quail hollow club yes. there in the south side of the city to, to bring the Wells Fargo in. Uh, Rory McIlroy, Phil Mickelson, a couple of the big names competing this weekend. There are usually a good number of uh, prestigious golfers coming into Charlotte for the, for this event, but it's one that you don't usually see all of the big names. And part of that is, is kind of sometimes because of the schedule and what tournament comes before and what tournament goes after. And last weekend they had, I believe it was the Zurich Championship in New Orleans, and they had a lot of rain. And that pushed the tournament to finishing later than it usually does. And sometimes that can keep a golfer. They can withdraw and say, you know, this tournament took me longer. I don't feel like I can prepare for the next one. I'm not going to play in this tournament. And uh, the other thing is what follows that tournament. And it's, it, some golfers like to kind of save themselves for the bigger tournaments, bigger exposure, more prestigious, and, of course, more money. Uh, the purse, what they call the, the overall winnings that, that goes to the field uh, and everybody in it, uh, is a little bit bigger next week at the TPC at Sawgrass in Florida. Uh, I think the purse this week is $7, 8000000 million. Next week it's more than $10 million. So you know, a little bit more money out there. Mainly, if you win it, you're going to yeah. get a little bit more money. Yeah. I think the winner next week will take away maybe six or seven hundred thousand dollars more than the winner this week, but still some big names. And maybe the biggest thing of all is that this year's Wells Fargo is kind of a prelude to next year when one of golf's four major championships comes to Charlotte. The PGA Championship will be coming to Quail Hollow in Charlotte in August of 2017. So that's something that, that fans will really be excited about. Just and, and here in Cleveland County around Gardner Webb, that's just an hour away. That you, yeah. if, you if you love watching golf. Great opportunity to see a major championship when it rotates all over the country. Uh, And that'll be only the third time that golf's PGA championship has been played on a course in North Carolina. Oh, wow. 
uh, been played at Pinehurst, I believe, and I believe back in the 70s, Tanglewood uh, Country Club in Winston-Salem. So uh, rare, rare that we have a PGA come here. It was at Kiowa Island in, I believe it was 2012 in South Carolina on the coast down there. So we've had it here in the Carolinas, but it's been a little while since we've had it in North Carolina, and it has not happened often. So that's exciting. It is. It's good stuff here in our region. Matthew Tessnier, the big sports fan, in each and every week to talk about uh, all things sports. We appreciate it. And, of course, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, you can go back and look at all the other previous podcast posts. There's an entire playlist there. Just follow the on-demand uh, programming links from our website, player, and uh, and uh, uh, app. app. Don't forget the app. You can download the app, Google or, or Android. Please download the app. Good right. way to listen. It is a good way to listen. It's a good way to connect to the station as you well. You can do it on the go. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That's it for this week.